Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by David Loughborough, Managing Director of Veolia Nuclear Solutions, a world-class player in nuclear facility cleanup and treatment of radioactive waste. David, hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you for coming on the program. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Yeah, it's not an easy question to answer in in, in a short space of time. Um, I guess usually people default to some of the the obvious uh, guys like those that run Virgin, uh, for for example. But for me, it's a combination of of, uh, having a clear vision, uh, being able to communicate with people, um, and, and showing how it's done. Uh, really, it's as simple as that. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Yeah, I guess it goes back to my background. I, I, I unusual background, which is uh, an apprenticeship and then a degree. Uh, and so, I think the ability to communicate at all levels, and it doesn't matter whether it's the uh, the, the person that uh, gives the post, the person that uh, uh, tidies the office, or indeed the person that. Uh, uh, manages all the finances. So one is communication, um, and two is being very, very clear, but but also, I'm trying to think of the right word, very, very sociable, um, but able to make decisions and, and to say to, to take the hard decisions, to make the yeses and the noes, uh, sometimes that uh, not everyone agrees with. So my style is, is sociable, I think, um, and, and the ability to make decisions. Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you were first starting out in the business world. Uh, was there any particular individual or set of circumstances that formed the way that you lead today? Uh, I, absolutely. Um, I tell a story. When I first started as a graduate, I was I was probably one of the worst graduates in the UK at the time back uh, back in the day. And this amazing, amazing lady engineer uh, uh, gave me my first project to do. And I produced an incredible, uh, an incredible report, 90 pages or so. Uh, and uh, after considering it for a few days, she, she said, in summary, 98% of this is rubbish. Uh, and uh, she then, we went through a, another cycle and a third cycle after, after a couple of weeks and eventually produced something that was sensible and readable. Mm-hmm. And I asked her six months later, why on earth did you do that? And she said, I wanted to see if you either would walk away because uh, you were terrible or whether you'd learn from it. And, and that lady taught me a massive lesson uh, about, uh, about mentoring and leadership and, 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 and character building, really. And I've taken that forward. And I'm a massive supporter of, of, of youngsters and graduates and how they mm-hmm. can start off terrible, as bad as myself, hopefully not, <laughs> uh, and develop from there. So, so that, that was a great lesson back in the day. That I learned. What's the first piece of advice that you give one of your young mentees? Yeah, so, so I give them two bits of advice, actually, when they first start. I say, please ask questions. And if somebody explains something, uh, then it's not clear. Ask it again. And if you have to ask it a third time to explain what, uh, what has happened, it is clear that the person who's telling you what they want is, is, is not really, is not clear enough and is not, uh, 
you need to come and come and talk to one of the other guys to get clear instructions. So number one, ask questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other, the second thing is actually the, the greatest ability that you can have as a, as a, as a young starter or as, as a, one of the team is actually something you cannot put on your CV. And it's the ability to get things done. And you cannot put it on your CV. It is not clear from, from, from anything you write. And it is only clear when you come and work. And that is, is the most important thing. So it's being able to actually execute things in reality, not just in theory. Yeah, not just in theory, not just to be able to write them, not just to be able to talk about them, but to actually get things done. And it is those guys in your company the, the guys that have the ability to, to get things done that are ultimately going to be uh, the, the leaders of the future. And in order to get things done, you need to be able to communicate in, in a sensible, practical and understandable way relevant to the personal people uh, that you're talking to. Let's go on to a, a bit of a broader take on leadership. If I was to ask you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Oh, that's a, tricky, isn't that, it? <laughs> it's a very is a. I mean, the the, the the living one, you know, the you know the, the Richard Bransons and the Alan Sugars are, are clear, and particularly with the the background uh, that, that that Alan Sugar has, for example. But uh, you know, um, uh, and the Nelson Mandela's would be uh, the one that isn't uh, living for the way he uh, the way he coped with his with his entire life. Mm. And what lessons can you draw from them that you can put into practice on an everyday basis? Wow, <laughs> that's an unexpected question. Uh, that I've never been asked that question before. I, I guess, I guess with with uh, with Alan Sugar, I can, again, I, I obviously don't know him, but the, the way he's absolutely committed and has a good idea and follows it through, uh, mm-hmm. and when you listen to him on the TV. Absolutely down to earth, straight to the point, very pragmatic, but the ability to communicate at all levels. So, of course, it all comes back to communication once again. I find this time and time again when I'm speaking to uh, CEOs and MDs is that it's the communicative skills that are so important uh, in the workplace. Now, of course, uh, you lead uh, quite a few uh, people, uh, to say the least, Um, but the catch there is that they are people, they're humans who with all their human fallibility and uh, interpersonal issues at occasion. And sometimes they're ill. Uh, how do you deal with these challenges within the workplace when, when they crop up? Uh, actually, just, just before I answer the, the story, I'll give you another anecdote, which is about communication. I was once, uh, I was once uh, uh, given a, given a, a great promotion and, uh, I turned up uh, in this in this new position. It was actually in the in the far north of, of, of Scotland on one of the big nuclear sites there. And I, I, I learned the lesson: number one, never turn up for a new job on the first of April. Uh, <laughs> which was, and the second is, uh, I turned up and, and uh, I was given a given a cup of tea and, and, and said, "Right, what would you like us to do, sir?" And there, was, there was you know more than a hundred people uh, looking at me, and, and I thought, "Crikey!" I, 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 it was like all the president's men. I was in the headlights, mm-hmm. uh, and I called my mentor, and I said, "Look, I'm in this position. I'm in this. I'm in this uh, great place with a bunch of new people, and I'm not too sure how to act. Not too sure what to do." And he said to me, "Why do you think you got the job?" And I said, "Well, I guess because of the way in which I've uh, done things, the way in which I've planned and acted and communicated." 
And he said, exactly right. So he said, what do you think you should do now? And I, I, I thought about it for a moment and thought, okay, just to carry on be my normal self and, and get on with the job. And he said, yes, it's been good to talk to you. And he put the phone down. Uh, and uh, I, I've taken that lesson. This was some years ago. I've taken that lesson wherever I've gone, which is just to be your to be yourself and to do the things that you think are, are right and proper, and to continue to communicate at all levels in, in in the right way to get your your thoughts and views over. But to always accept that you're never always right, and to be available and, and, and able to take on board. Lots of other opinions, because ultimately that what that's what brings the, you know, the the, the team spirit and, and the motivation for people to carry on. Mm. Now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does next twelve months have in store for Violia Nuclear Solutions? Yeah, we, we we've got a great team working in the UK, and actually, we we are working on uh, Fukushima. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you remember Fukushima. Uh, we're providing some amazing technology to support the cleanup uh, of, that, of that reactor. And we've got some of the best, uh, literally some of the best engineers uh, and control and systems people in the UK uh, exporting uh, great British technology uh, into Japan, uh, which is unusual in itself. But uh, uh, you'll see us on the news uh, sometime during the year in relation to that uh, to that project. So for us, as part of the Violi Group, the future is bright. That's absolutely fantastic, David. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. And I very much look forward to having you back on the program. Maybe we can elaborate more on that very interesting project. David, thank you. No problem. Good to talk to you. That was David Lorenbrough. Managing Director of Viola Nuclear Solutions. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, <laughs> one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach. 
or, or teach me, if you like, at the football. And uh, they, they quite always mention when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure. When you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. 
he was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be, who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on my life, my family, You've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it. You you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in? Uh, so Alf, so uh, sharply. Yes, I think for for me certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that. It looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play, and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, Not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, out. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were 
uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make again, laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, 
people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave. And set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you? as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to... Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the, um, time. Um, looking um, back 
through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. Yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and uh, dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over it, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. 
This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.